Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, a show that shows you what's behind the collar. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. This is Vicar. That's right. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. We got the whole gang. Good to have you, Berg. I missed yeah. you, man. Did you miss us? Good. Did you miss us? Of course. So where'd you you go on vacation? Uh, Back to Minnesota. Sweet. Sweet. So nowhere exotic like you, but you know. Eh, you know. It's nice being me sometimes. It is. And you have your first time meeting Vicar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. How should I prepare Vicar for you? I told him already, there'll be times where he'll he'll feel kind of stupid. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure he'll be fine. It'll be awesome. <laughs> all right. I think he said you were a, like a, all kinds of a, a heretic or something. Oh, no, you said he knew the history. Of- yeah. <laughs> history, heretic. There. They both start They both start with H. So. Right. That's close. And, he, he, and uh, he knows a little bit about gaming, too. He does some gaming like you do. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, you're the odd man out, Bullhagen. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Berg, what have you been playing lately? Uh, my wife has really been into this board game called Primary, where uh, you basically play against other people in order to get votes, so you get your party's nomination. And like you have to choose your cards before your actions before uh, the news comes out, and so the news can really uh, screw up your play. <coughs> so it's kind of a so it's kind of a fun game. Yeah, you know, we should do that and rebrand it and call District Convention. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing, right? <laughs> Speaking well, of, I guys... did get nominated for stuff, so... You I did? What did you get nominated for? for? I don't even know. I didn't look at the email too yeah. close, so... <laughs> so I have to do something about that. For Synod? Yeah, different Senate things, so... Yeah, we'll I, see. I, I might yeah. have been too, but I'm not, I'm not so, sure. Yeah, we might meet face-to-face one day again. That would be mm-hmm. amazing. It would be. That, that would be as the clerical errors takes over the synod. Exactly. Live I in can't the wait dream. For the error district. So do you got a beverage, yeah. Berg? I do. I'm drinking a diet Dr Pepper. So. All right. I, I got some. What uh, happened to what happened to all that uh, homemade whiskey stuff? Well, I don't have internet at the house, so I'm on church property. So I have to kind of be careful about what I. <laughs> Do and don't do. Yeah, like, yeah, kind of like the studio, right? <laughs> <laughs> this might the be the studio is a safe. It's a safe space, right? <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. Well, I had a, a method to my madness. Is uh, we had an episode with the elders. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, nineteen point brought beer, so the elders were drinking beer in the studio. So I figured. I mean, <laughs> you blackmailed them. Like now they can't say anything. <laughs> so I got some. It's like uh, it's like Dave, it's like David and Joab. I mean, ex- exactly. <laughs> Nothing. What have you got, Bullhagen? Uh, it's like um. Come on, man! You're looking right at it. Can you say what it is? He, he oh. needs reading glasses. <laughs> oh, I, I was. I don't know. I, I've just been distracted all day. You know, I was. Before I get to this, so does this sound like me, Berg? 
here I am listening to Vicar practice his sermon, right? In the sanctuary. Okay. And you know how we have those big windows in the back? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to listen to his practice while they're playing kickball in the park. <laughs> and so I'm trying to be, you know, serious and help Vicar out. And meanwhile, the whole time I'm thinking, I really want to play kickball right now. Yeah. Kickball is awesome. And the thing is, is he yeah. doesn't keep that in his head. He says it out loud. <laughs> I mean, this whole conversation right now just took a turn for, this is the quintessence of Bullhagen right here. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, squirrel. So anyway, uh, Bullhagen, what, you, what yes. are you drinking? I, uh, I've got a Tapo Chico Twist of Lime. Tapo Chico, the, the uh, Mexican sparkling water from south of the border. Uh it just really makes you want to go play some kickball, doesn't it? Oh, you know, this is this is t- terrible. I was telling Julie the other day that when I was a little boy, um, I'd watch like Gatorade commercials and Pepsi commercials, and uh, and so you know how they would drink really cool and they would kind of do this <laughs> while it went down their throat. You know, I thought that was a cool way to drink. So like after coming into play, I'd grab something. I would just like, <laughs> yeah, with the condensation <laughs> running down right. the bottle and right, ha. Huh. Yes. Yeah. So of all of us, good. Yeah, yeah. We're working on the timing because we're working from all over the country. Mm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm a little, I had little uh, ADHD today. I'm not gonna lie. So I'm the the coolest out of all of us because I apparently am the only one that is going to be drinking. What are you drinking? I have. Bullhagen will know what this is. Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. We had that once. Hmm. It was beautiful. So I haven't had it since then. This is Voyage 24. Apparently they do something with different with every voyage. So, yeah, so what they do, do you know how they age bur- bourbon in barrels? Yeah. Right? So they age this one on a ship, and something about the, the climate changes and the movement in the barrels with the sea somehow is supposed to make it taste amazing. Right on. I kind of like it. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. Uh, Let me get the sound going. Um, oh, is that does that need a bottle opener? Yeah, you have a bottle opener. All right, this is great podcast material. <laughs> I've got the crystal glass even. Wow. Nice. Hey. I had a 1997 bottle of port that uh, I opened the other day, and it was pretty amazing. You have right. to. It really pairs well with blue cheese, and so wow. that was pretty rad. So, Vicar, you're an engineer. Open my bottle for me. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to leave the studio to figure it out. I don't think there's anything in here. Hey, you know what? The, the podcast, the podcast, the studio table is not the most expensive thing in the world. If you wanted to do a quick corner, corner well, I could, open. All right. I wish Heather was here. She knows how to do that. <laughs> so she's the classy one, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit, hit the corner. Hit the corner of it on the edge and then just hit it with the palm of your hand. The heel. There you go. Easy. Got one. <laughs> there, I got it. Now I've opened two of them. Ah, uh, delicious. <laughs> you only learned that however many years too late. Weren't you? Didn't you guys go to college or something? <laughs> I was a teetotaler till I was thirty. <laughs> Peter too. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Vicar, what are you preaching on? <laughs> ah, okay. So the. Sermon this Sunday is on the, the healing of the deaf man when Jesus traveled over to the Decapolis. Well, so why don't you uh, go ahead and read the, the lesson oh. there? The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. 
Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right. So, Berg, uh, why don't you, can you do me a favor? Because I'm not sure that Vicar did a lot of work on, like, the location stuff. That's that's kind of like in your, what is it? What was it? Tyre? Tyre and then went through Sidon to the north and then circled back over to the southeast to go to the Decapolis. Okay. Got anything there, Berg? Yeah, I mean, the geography here is really important. Tyre was uh, a city on the coast. It was a Phoenician city uh, that was very um, important in Israel's history. King Hiram of Tyre uh, was the one who supplied cedar to Solomon, to David and Solomon, um, in order to build the temple. Um, and then uh, we see in Isaiah how Tyre is uh, has turned on Israel, on the kingdom of Israel, and will suffer judgment. Uh, Sidon is where uh, Queen Jezebel came from. And so that is a hotbed of uh, nastiness in a lot of different ways uh, from times immemorial. And then the Decapolis, uh, it's a Greek word meaning ten cities. Uh, These were uh, Greek cities that were founded um, as Alexander the Great was conquering the the known world. Uh, This was actually a very important philosophical place because some very important cynic philosophers uh, were found in these cities. Um, and it's interesting here because the Decapolis is also where the uh, the two demoniacs were, Gennesaret. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Man, I, mean, I, I, I missed it, you, Berg. I missed you. So, I mean, what, <laughs> what's the whole point of this, right? I mean, well, yeah, this could be a sermon in itself, just talking about the places, right? Mm-hmm. You have a place that where the king believed and rejoiced in the Lord that uh, God had put David and Solomon on the throne, but then later lost the faith. Mm-hmm. Sidon, uh, with only a very few, with very few exceptions, like the widow of Zarephath, um, you know, there were very few believers in Sidon, if any, you know. Um, we know that there was one, the widow and, and her son and the like, which we're going to hear in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Decapolis are those who have never heard, right? So you could say that you have uh, apostates in the first category. Um, you have very lean pickings in the second category. And then you have completely uncharted territory in the third. And these are people who, who have not heard? Well, some, not- of them, some of them did hear, right? right. I mean, and, and you could even take this and say, well, I mean, who fits in the tire uh, category in our church as well? There were those who grew up in the faith and then abandoned it, mm-hmm. right? There are those uh, communities like in Sidon uh, who 
were very hostile to the faith, um, with very few exceptions. And then there are, uh, in the Decapolis, there are those who have never heard. Which, right. I mean, you could talk about with Generation Z or, you know, all that kind of nonsense. So, so just from the geography, uh, you could really preach a sermon on how Jesus wants them to hear. He reaches out to those who have heard but have fallen away, uh, those who have had marked hostility to the gospel, with very few exceptions, and then those who have never heard. So Which, that, uh, that would be one way to preach that sermon. And and uh, and the miracle then playing along with that, as far as uh, how they were astonished, he does all things good. In the midst well, of and, yeah, ahead. that actually gets me to one of my uh, to some of my uh, my topics here. For uh, I've started writing titles for sermons. I think it's kind of a nice practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first that, title here is that's by, by by the way, that's not that different than uh, kind of what I do with my like. My sermon ideas right at a list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So my first uh, title is Private Care. And the reason why I talk about that is because Jesus takes this guy aside privately. And so you can talk about uh, why he does that, mm-hmm. right? Um, that Jesus isn't just for the masses. He's not just for n- numerical superiority, right? Mm-hmm. But he actually takes time with this with this pretty poor and dejected man, right? Uh, and, and the that, second is kind of kind of goes along with that message or magic. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus takes this guy uh, by himself, and why he does what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Why he uses the sign language that he uses because he's trying to communicate with this poor man in the only way that this man can communicate through vision, right? Right. That's why he sticks his fingers in his ears, right? Mm-hmm. Or spits and touches the guy's tongue, right? And the reason why he takes him away um, privately is because what what do you think the people in the Decapolis would have thought if they saw that? Jesus I, is a warlock. He's doing magic, right? Mm-hmm. He's right. doing his mumbo-jumbo symbols, and, you know, that's what's making this guy to hear and speak properly. And then they and would so, probably... Then they would probably then uh, also try to mimic that. Well, let me try to do some of that stuff, too. Right. I mean, you know, there's there's something to be said about that, because magic and uh, witchcraft is on the rise in the United States. And, you know, you can preach on the Second Commandment for that, right? Mm-hmm. That church isn't magic. Everything that we do in church is there to communicate the gospel. From the clothes that we wear... Uh, to the gestures that we have, all of it is there to uh, proclaim Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins. And we should never, ever let it devolve into um, mummery, into this sort of magical sort of thinking, as it has in, in some Christian churches in the world where catechesis is not very good. Right. And so th- then the third one, uh, I ask a question, are all things well? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, it's that's a question people are asking, right? And, and that can take a couple of things because, you know, I think uh, we're living in a day and age where a lot of churches, a lot of churches are a little discouraged. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a small town congregation, you're not probably not growing a lot. And yeah, uh, I mean, you're probably declining pretty and, rapidly. Uh, and the the question is, well, that that's awfully depressing. And he does all things well. They might try in, in their own minds to argue with that. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> if they were really going well, look what how we we could measure that. But if you have Christ, well, then you know, then his perfect word, his forgiveness, his salvation, um, in the midst of a place like Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis. Yeah. Well, one thing that uh, the vicar talks about, and we talked about this too, in the process of his writing it, um, that uh, that uh, the the role of the crowd, that uh, they were his eyes, they were his ears and his voice. They're the ones that heard Jesus and brought him to Jesus. They heard for him and they spoke up for him, and they they begged Jesus in his place. And uh, well, vicar, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, certainly, like. To some degree, they had heard of Jesus because they had this idea that he could heal the deaf man. So they might not have heard of Jesus much, you know, a long time ago, but they'd heard of him recently because they knew enough to bring him to Jesus and beg Jesus to to go ahead and heal him. And of course, that means that they took somebody. Uh, when we bring people forward in prayer, we bring them to the to to God and we ask God to heal them. And then we're behaving as the ears of our absent members and the voice of our absent members, perhaps, that need prayer for healing. So in a lot of ways, the Church of God should behave like that crowd, bring people forward that have needs right. and ask God to heal or, them. Or a parent. Or, yeah. You know, let's go to the—I'm going to go there, this whole gender gender discussion. I'm going to let my three-year-old decide what gender they are. Actually, parent, why don't you be the, the, the ears and the voice for your child there and say no? Right. <laughs> yeah. You because know? That's not a decision that, a, I mean, it's not a decision really anybody should make at all ever because it goes against reality. Or schools, you know, what am I, what is my child learning in school? You kind of need to be an eyes and a voice for them. Right. An advocate, a defender probably in our public schools nowadays. So, so that, that's another aspect of that. But yeah, you, you go into talking about that and, and, our, and, and what the church does where we do that for one another. All right, anything else you want to add to that, Berg? And then my last one was, uh, I'm, I'm, I think I like this one the best. Tell no one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's your evangelism heart at work. Well, I mean, that's what Jesus says, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think he says that? Well, um, how? why don't you field that question? <laughs> well, I think... Uh, well, he, I think he might say, well, my time is not come yet, on the one hand. Um, and I think he, he wants the word that he speaks to predominate over the, the miracle. The miracle should be a servant of the word. Um, I guess that would, that's why, why I would say that. Right. You know, there are times where we should speak on things, and there are times where we shouldn't. There are times where people are ready to hear things, and there are times when they're not. And I think that is a big part of it, is the catechesis of the crowd was woefully lacking. Right. And when it's woefully lacking, then then there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of misunderstandings. And Jesus doesn't want to be believed in as a carnal messiah, as a simple miracle worker, as a magician or a sorcerer. 
I mean, that, he that wants happened. to be known as the savior of, of sinners. And, and I think that also goes along when uh, you're you're dealing with someone who has no no understanding of the of the faith, and uh, if they're in that situation, they're going to have a lot of uh, a baggage you're bringing into that. And you, you as a as a pastor, uh, uh, when I, was, I think I've talked about this in the earlier in the podcast at some point, not this episode, but where you can't just expect them to to kind of know all those things and be prepared to to change everything without actually teaching them some of those things, you know? Um, does, that, does that make sense to you, Vicar? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, where my mind went is, I believe it was in the miracle story of lowering the sick man through the ceiling down to Jesus to heal. Mm-hmm. And when he got there and saw the man, isn't, if, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't this the man that he told him his sins were forgiven rather yeah. than healing him at first? So therefore, the crowd really did get to hear Jesus's primary mission, and of course, they were incensed at him that this mere man could tell someone that their sins were forgiven. But then and he then follows that, that, it. That, the, the miracle is almost an afterthought to right. show that he had the authority to to forgive his sins, which is easier to say to him, mm-hmm. "Your sins are forgiven," or "Rise, take up your mat, and go." Right. Yeah. So in that way, he sort of projected his identity up front, and then maybe confirmed it with the miracle and uh so maybe a little bit different than this this account of uh, of the deaf man being healed and then him charging them they didn't have maybe because it was a gentile area they didn't even have the old testament as a background who what it even meant that there was a messiah they might not have had that background at all and so it was better to protect his identity by asking them to be quiet all right so uh um i would like to do a little bit now i i my, my my time and attention was short today, so I don't have a full list, so I'll ask for you to help me with this, Berg. But uh, the doctrine of the call, or what it is, what it ain't, and what it could be. Do you think you have some some thoughts on that you could uh, to help us out with? I'll do the best I can. All right. So, Vicar, see if you have this down. What do you think? What do you think Peter should do? Ah, let's see. Play the introduction music. Is that the one? Oh. No, I said it wrong. That was very disappointing. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, was I supposed to say it more boisterously, or did I just get the words wrong? Uh, yeah, yeah. Say it, say it more boisterously. <laughs> say it more. Okay, I think it goes, uh, Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for what it is, what it ain't, what it could be. So I think there's a, a, a common misunderstanding of what the divine call is all right wouldn't you say vicar i don't know if it's common i suppose so when i look outside the lutheran denomination but i'm not sure that's where your mind is headed i would say i would say probably 65 to 70 percent if i put a number don't quite understand some of this stuff wouldn't you say berg i yeah yeah in in the lutheran church in the lutheran church okay Right, because because if, if a lot of times it, even in the Lutheran Church, uh, they'll ask, well, well, when if you talk about a call, when were you called? They'd say, well, they they're thinking of when did you feel like the Lord was leading you? Okay, right, right, right. And Where, that, yeah, and that's tricky because I mean, at some point, I mean, as I most recently went through the process of deciding whether or not I was supposed to go to seminary. 
It's sort of impossible not to at least reflect on your own feelings on the matter, but I didn't want to rely on them, if that makes sense. Right. Well, and it's a fact, you know, where where people will say, well, I waited to go to the seminary because I wanted to really feel like God mm. was calling me. And it doesn't always work that way. And if it's just like a feeling, you know, maybe you had chili. Right. <laughs> I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the old hymn goes, more than a feeling. <laughs> so, so Berg, when you want decided that you want to be a pastor, um, and by the way, the call really isn't even about deciding when you want to that you want to be a pastor, right? But if you if you think back to the the cold place where your heart should be, did you have this overwhelming feeling like you were out uh, out uh, feeding livestock, cleaning out the bins? You thought, you know what? Yeah, I, I don't actually remember a time when I didn't want to be a pastor. Hmm. Um, it's always been what I've wanted to do. Um, so and the same same with me. So yeah, but like you said, I mean, the desire to be a pastor is a good thing. However, it's not the same thing as being called. Because if we didn't have calls, we wouldn't be pastors. Right. So, so when we talk about what it is, the first thing I will say is, really, from a biblical, biblical point of view, there has been two kinds of this call into the ministry, okay? One is an immediate call, and what is immediate call? Without a mediator. So, direct. Right. So, immediate would be, can you think of an example of an, an immediate call? Uh, comes to mind God speaking directly to Abraham? Yeah. Abraham, Moses. Yeah. Right? Right. Or the 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 prophets? Right. Um the apostle Paul talks about this hmm. and he, he he points out that he actually did receive a call right. from Christ that he was an apostle from that call. Right. Uh and you could actually say say uh even the disciples when Jesus said come follow me, it was a call from God. Right. So, so there is that aspect of it, right? That that some were had an immediate call from God, without any kind of means or right, right, without talking to the admissions counselor at the seminary, right, right, the divinely inspired admissions counselor, <laughs> right, Berg. Indeed. So. So then, with that in mind, then what is immediate call? Uh, somewhere else in the chain of cause and effect without being directly spoken to by God. Right. I, I think a good way to explain this is, is uh, think of your food. So, so uh, uh, um, when the children of Israel uh, got uh, in the wilderness quail and manna from heaven, right? They receive their food immediately, directly from God. Right. Uh, how we get our food today is through means. Yeah, absolutely. From the grocery store, from the truck driver that brought it there, all the way back in a long causal chain to God creating the, the animals in the first place. But there's a lot of in-between steps before right. we get our food. Right. So, But are we saying that like... Uh, and that's another point of this is um, we would also say along those lines is 
immediate call is no less of a call than the immediate call. No, I agree. Both are a call given by God, right? Right. But the one that comes uh, through the church still is of and from God. Because the the age-old question is, is did the call you receive a call? Is it from Christ or is it from the church? And the answer then would be, yes, yes. When you were a kid, did mom give you the make the food and put on your table, or did God give you the food? (laughs) You better say yes. (laughs) You don't want mom mad (laughs) or dad. I do a lot of cooking. Oh, okay. That's what Peter was thinking. I saw him. (laughs) (laughs) Anything to add to that, Berg? Nope. All right. So, um. And so when we look at that, uh, um, when you have a pastor called by the congregation, uh, that is through those means, and it's just as valid. It is a process that, that Christ gave the church. So, for example, when you look at baptism, when you look at the Lord's Supper, when you look at the Office of the Keys, you could say, well, he gave that charge to the apostles, the disciples, right? Right. But he also said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he said, Do this often in remembrance of me. And he, they, he said, What should we do? Baptize. Go to every nation, all nations. So that that charge that he gave to the disciples really is to the whole church and through the means by which he has given the church to do those things. So when a pastor absolves, when he offers the body and blood of Jesus, when he pronounces absolution, on behalf of Christ, in the same way, he has that command in those ways to do it from Christ himself. And so in that process, he is speaking for Christ, which is why when someone's worried about coming and confessing their sins to the pastor, they think, well, I, I don't want pastor to think all these things about me. Well, who is who is actually speaking to them? Oh, it's definitely Christ. Christ. Or we would have no ability whatsoever to, to absolve the sins. And the fact that it happened, the, the pastor received a call in these immediate means it doesn't really change anything. It's yeah. still the same process. It's just still the same Christ. And so, um, uh, and so, when a, when you think of a congregation making a call to a pastor, um, because he uses those means through the congregation, uh, it's a different understanding than that. Uh, because a lot of people think, well. Well, when we called him, that we hired him. Yeah. Right? Rick, you want to talk about the difference of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess this would be in what the ministry ain't. Right. The ministry ain't uh, self-chosen. Nobody can put themselves in that role by mm-hmm. their own volition, right? Right. Just, just like the priests. You know, you have to actually be placed there by God. You cannot take this upon yourself. Uh, that's that's not what we do. Um, the the twelve were called. Jesus said, uh, "Follow me," right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he appeared to Paul on the road. Um, Barnabas and Paul uh, were sent out to collect you know money for the mission trips and you know for the starving people in in Jerusalem, right? And they were actually sent by the saints at Antioch. Nobody. No matter how talented you are, no matter how uh, awesome you are, you cannot take it on yourself. It has to be given to you. And just like, you know, just like a dad. I mean, unless God gives you 
a son or a daughter, you're not a dad, no matter how good you'd be at it. Hmm. And uh, and so, really, it's the call that makes one a pastor, not the ordination. Right. Yeah, and I can't help but look at the epistle reading that's coming up for Sunday, because it's right in there, uh, Romans 10, verse uh, 14 and 15, let's say. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Yeah, so who's doing the sending? The church is, for, is calling for people right. to be pastors. And, and also God. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, so when and, you think of... Go ahead, Berg. Yeah, I mean, and you look at that in a lot of ways, a lot of the, uh, the creation of non-denominational churches, where these pastors just start preaching and gather flocks around them, uh, no better words can be spoken to them than the words that the prophet Jeremiah speaks. Uh, I did not send these prophets, and yet they ran. To run and preach without a call, without God calling you to a particular place, um, either and uh, either through a formal call, or when the church is scattered, like it was in the book of Acts, when the people, you know, when, you know, these guys must needs preach, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because there is no visible church at that point. Um, even, that, even, you know, even Jesus didn't preach until after his baptism. Right. You know, though, when the Holy Spirit, in a sense, anointed him and the father said, this is my beloved son. <laughs> right. Right. So even even he, Jesus himself didn't start preaching until till then. That was his call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even though he could have done these things by virtue of his divinity and his uh his immaculate uh, human nature, yet he uh did not count it uh robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. So, so with so with this in mind, then looking at some of the practical applications. Okay, so if the call is mediate through the congregation, right? Mm-hmm. But it also is a call from God. Um, how then is a pastor then removed? How does that call end? Because because there could be the idea of, of a congregation saying, "Well, we're the one that calls him, so we can just rescind that call." I don't know yeah, that there's I mean, biblical warrant for ending a call. But go ahead, Bernard. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, if God puts a man there, then only God can remove him. And in that way, the congregation just simply confirms that God has removed him. How does God remove pastors from their call? Well, um, he removes them through death, right? That's mm-hmm. a pretty permanent way. Uh, through another call, or if the qualifications that were sent down for the ministry are violated. So Mm. if a man is not sound in doctrine, if he persists stubbornly in false doctrine, God has removed him from being a pastor. Uh, If he is not apt to teach anymore, God has removed him from being a pastor. If he is no longer blameless in his life, uh, then 
God has removed him from being a pastor. And the congregation simply recognizes that. Right. And then that's why this, these distinctions are important. Hmm. Because I think sometimes we talk about some of the misconceptions that people have. Well, we called him. We can also then, we hired him. Mm-hmm. We can. We can uncall. <laughs> Fire him. Now, well, now that being it, said, with, with what Berg it's said. Like, it's like people say to their children, I brought you into this world. <laughs> I can. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> the kid doesn't that know is, that. <laughs> that. That's what we call murder. <laughs> and so uh, that's the thing is like that's where the the calling it really I mean it's very the, the analogy to you know kind of birth uh, birthing a child is not the worst analogy because you know you bring a child into the world but you can't take them out of the world you don't you, you have no authority to do that right hmm and so that's the thing is parents can recognize if their children have committed heinous sins and are going to death row and say, yeah, you know, because that's given to the state to do. The church does recognize that uh, pastors fall and that they shouldn't serve anymore. Um, but we must always be very, very clear that just as God put the man into the office, God has taken the man out of the office. Um, so... So, so the congregation does have an obligation to observe the pastor, right? So, to you know, the reason why the congregation needs to know the catechism well is because uh, if the pastor stops teaching the word of God properly, preaching the word of God properly, they have an obligation to do something about it. They should check carefully, uh, like the Brians did. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. And, and and that that's also, but uh, a lot of times when a church wants to get rid of a pastor, it's not because of those things. <laughs> right. It's not because of the biblical qualifications that God has set forward, which is why, I mean, it's a good thing for every layperson and pastors, too, to go back and read those qualifications. And, and there's on also— a, On a regular basis. And there's also, I think, an important message in this to pastors as well. Okay. And I'll use, for me, a lot of this discussion, marriage is a good example too, right? So, for example, uh, there have been a lot of uh, uh, men who hear wives submit to your husbands and uh, they don't read the rest of it and they say, well, you can't get rid of me. I'm your husband. It's a sin to get rid of me. So I'm going to be Hmm. a jerk to my wife. I think there is a temptation for pastors to hide behind the, well, God called me here, God placed me here, and I don't have to, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, where if you want to talk about things about what is he teaching, what is he confessing, is he carrying out his duties, and you want to have an honest discussion, just simply say, well, God put me here, just be quiet. Hmm. That's not helpful either. No. You, do you Would you agree with that, Berg? Yeah, I think it's always a temptation to do that and to not actually bear with people in love. Um, I've seen it the other way, too, where congregations are the other way, right? And they demand things from their pastor that they really have no right to demand. Right. And so I think both have to watch themselves, and they should remember the salutation. 
in the liturgy. Right? The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. It's not a holy howdy. Here, the pastor uh, is telling them, the Lord be with you. I'm bringing Christ to you. That's my job. That's why I'm here. And the congregation responds with, yes, and with your spirit, that spirit that you received at ordination when you uh, were put into the office of the holy ministry, we recognize that. We are saying, yes, you are bringing us Jesus. And so the ties between pastor and congregation should actually be strengthened every time we do the liturgy, if we would only understand what those words really mean. So, so uh, are, you, are you getting your education, Vicar, today? Well, I am. I'm reflecting on uh, sort of an alternate uh, description I was given of that salutation, uh, what it means, that you were praying for the pastor by asking God to be with his spirit because he was about to bring you the word of God, and you wanted him to do that very well, and so you were praying that God's spirit would be with him so that he could... Uh, uh, be strengthened in his faith and correctly state the word of God as he preaches. Well, I, I, I would say this. The, the only thing I would, I would say that I might uh, differ about that okay. is this, is uh, I think with this doctrine of the call, is you actually make a separation, though, between the word and the man. Hmm. So, so uh, regardless of the man, if he is giving you the word of God, the word of God is the work. Certain, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, and uh, you know, so if a pastor is found to be faithless after 20 years, uh, does that make all the baptisms he did uh, invalid? Nope, because we're not Pelagians. Right. It was the the it word. Was the word. It was yeah, and the promise of God inherent in the in the act of the baptism, not the holiness of the man that performed. Right. All right, so that, that brings us to what it ain't. So one thing that I, I don't have, you can tell I have a really long list there, Vicar, right? <laughs> That's been a lot of white space. <laughs> <laughs> it's been one of those days. Um, what it ain't. It ain't an inner feeling. Hmm. It might include it, I would say, but I, I agree wholeheartedly that that's not the essence of it. Well, I, and I would say this, you know, when you talk about the call and being called to come back congregation, if you're talking about a man considering to be a pastor, right, certainly God gives him the desire to do it. He gives him the interest in theology, the right. ability to understand the theology, to be able to teach and preach that theology, and uh, the aptitude and the desire to do it. Certainly God works through those things, but it's not like a bat phone in your heart. No. No. no I do no, miss like, the old uh, Adam West bat phone well yeah you know <laughs> hello commissioner <laughs> imagine if like you showed them cell phone technology like when they were making that they'd say nah right <laughs> that's, that's you, too sci-fi right you came off the star trek set <laughs> i kind of like the old days where uh candidates would actually go and hide in the hills ah. because they didn't want it and so the crowd you know, drag them kicking and screaming to the church to be ordained. <laughs> to be ordained. You know, I, I, you know, maybe maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. You know, guys That's like true. Chrysostom, for example, right. or Ambrose, right? I, Isn't that the, what the guy you want to be your district president? 
Absolutely. <laughs> I think Anselm was another that maybe was supposed to grab the, the staff as they ordained him into the bishopric, and he wouldn't do it, so they just held the stick up to the outside of the back of his hand because he wouldn't open his hand. <laughs> I'll have to look and see if I'm right about that. Yeah. Yeah, there are plenty of uh, wonderful stories on that. and I think, like anything, it uh, excessive humility can be a problem, but, uh, you know, like in Moses' case... Right. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes uh, we're all too eager to jump into the office. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I've often said that the, the podcast, you know, when I was 24 years old, jumping into the ministry, did I fully comprehend what I was getting myself into? <laughs> yeah, I mean, until you're in it. Right. So, uh, uh, what it, uh, what what else it, it isn't? Is it? It isn't a special order of rank of Christian or rank of Christians, mm. right? Right. We're not like the higher class Christians, Correct. church workers. Oh. Now, you would say from a biblical st- standard, you would say, um, well, the Bible says above reproach, and and in some ways, when it comes to. Uh, um, a high, we are held to maybe a higher standard in some instances, you know. Um, yeah, and I and I think too we have authority. I mean, that's we have authority, but any any position, any estate, any station in life that has authority is by necessity uh, one of service. Right. Parents have a lot of authority, uh, and that's why they spend like the first two years you know, cleaning up crap. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, no, I, on, I mean, let's just right. be honest, right? I, you know, there's, uh, parents have a huge amount of authority. What they say, if it is not contrary to the word of God, is God's word to that child. Mm. Uh, and yet, they spend their entire lives serving their children. Same thing with government. Government has great authority, uh, but they are to be servants of the state. Same way, same way with pastors. We have authority, but it is always for service. It is always and, and according to scripture, right? Um, the authority comes. So, so there are things where pastors may think that they have the right to speak, but they. I'm sure you have examples of that. Well, hmm. of of because of, uh, tell Berg may not know your background a little. Tell. Berg, a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, I have a non-liturgical background. Uh, I was raised Pentecostal. And so uh, up until I went to college, uh, to me, what was normal was to go to church and see the things that you might watch on YouTube nowadays that you that some of us might think are pretty crazy looking, like people speaking in tongues and falling over and being slain in the spirit, casting out demons. Uh, that was my normal church experience growing up. Uh, up through my uh, my twenties, and uh, and then I, I moved away from that some, but I went to Calvary Chapel churches, which were kind of charismatic light. Uh, but, did you did you ever speak in tongues? Oh, I did when I was like ten. It was a massive amount of peer pressure. Uh, I don't know. If I, I find I, this is good. I, I find this interesting. Don't it you? It is Bert? interesting. But yeah, I mean, it sounds exhausting. It is because well, and and it took me a long time to be able to speak about that experience because I didn't really believe it as it happened, but was being trained 
that, oh, to doubt this means you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit because that was a move of the Holy Spirit and you're doubting it. And so it was like a, a catch-22. You know, I couldn't even express for a decade and a half or two decades afterward, you know, what my doubts about that experience. And yet I knew all along as I was succumbing to the peer pressure and trying to do what the people around me, the grown-ups, and were trying to get me to speak in tongues and I was trying to do it right. And they were affirming the nonsense that I was, that I was you know, speaking, the, the, the nons, nonsensible uh, um, syllables that were coming out. And yet as an experiment, I would, in my mind, I'd say, okay, the next syllable I'm going to say is la or duh or mo or whatever it was, and I could do it. So I knew that my mouth had not been taken over and under the control of, not the Holy Spirit anyway, but uh, it was not under control. It was under my control still. And yet the people around me, once they heard the the gibberish that I was making were telling me, that's it. You've got it, brother. you That's it. And they were confirming it for me that this was a thing. I only did that a few times, and uh, but it was really uncomfortable, and I moved away from it. As, uh, you know, I, I didn't participate in that part of the service, but I didn't really doubt that the other people were doing it for real, like speaking in an unknown angelic language. But I knew that I had not, but I, but I really didn't want to talk about it for a long, long time. So you, you, I'm sure you would imagine that it, that there was a portion, though, that felt like you did in that situation. Oh, yeah. I felt like that, that I had basically been the agent in control. But I was like 10 or 11 years old, so I didn't have the vocabulary to sure. explain like the feelings and the, and the conflict. As to, looking, this is another question. Looking back at other, other speaking in tongues, as you look back, do you think there were times where you think it might have actually been demonic? I think it almost had to be. I mean, I... I had a, I got a weird experience where I took a friend of mine to church with me that I know of. He had never been to church. And at that church, he had a full-blown, you know, what looked like a spiritual experience. He acted drunk in the spirit, as it was called in those denominations, and was stumbling and was having like a very, you know, uh, uh, altered mind type of reaction to being at a church setting like that. He'd probably never been to a church and he probably was blown away by what happened at that charismatic little non-denominational church we were going to at that time. And so, so how did that happen? Why would a person who had probably no knowledge of Jesus Christ somehow suddenly have this uh, unmediated encounter with the Holy Spirit and have these you know, physical reactions? Because it wasn't the Holy Spirit, is my conclusion. Years later, did he did he stick with that church? Oh no, I don't. That I know of, that was the one and only time that he came and visited that church with me. He was just the kid my age that lived down the road from me. Poor Tony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Tony, if you're listening, yeah, where can they get a hold of us, Vicar? <laughs> uh, ah, if you would like to get a hold of clerical errors, we can be reached by email at feedback at clericalerrors.org. and on Facebook. Look us up at Clerical Errors Podcast. And if you would like to see our Twitter, we are... Happy at- bro. <laughs> oh, I forgot what that one was. Oh, yeah, because it starts... With- okay, I'll get it next time, I promise. No worries, man. It's got the at symbol, right? At Clerical <laughs> Errors P is our Twitter handle. P for podcast? P for podcast. That's how you can reach us. All right. And and so I, th- I think we've talked a lot about what it's not. Do you have anything to add to what it's what it ain't, Berg? Um... I guess to go along, kind of, you know, going with that whole thought, uh, it's not a hierarchy either. That all pastors are uh, equal in the ministry. Mm-hmm. They might have different gifts, um, and there might be brighter lights, but they're all equal. District right. presidents, bishops, you know, there's no, you know, um, 
hierarchy of bishops or or some some something like that, you know. Right. Right. Um so let's uh let's do some positive. Well, what it could be. Well, this this doctrine could be if you take it seriously. Uh gain gain a a better experience of how Christ is working with the, in the church and how Jesus really is working and speaking and forgiving and feeding and baptizing and how you know uh, even though it looks like it's through immediate means that it, it is it is just as valid and certain as if a prophet came or an apostle came because it is the same Christ who works through these means through the church uh, to to call a, a pastor and place them at your congregation and I think it I think it could be too that uh, when we talk about the church, I think oftentimes we talk about the lay people as if we're somehow separate from them. But really, the church is preacher and hearers together. It has to be one. And a church mm-hmm. without a pastor is incomplete. They w- they want a pastor. They want somebody to serve them. They want to hear God's word. Uh, and when you when you think about the the main really the only true reason that we have a synod is for that, you know, to to uh, have a place to call through which pastors can be called and trained right. and placed. I mean, I thought and, it was for the health plan and the pension, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the blaze programs. <laughs> <laughs> So, man, that hey makes man, me the sound old. Parson, parsonages are a good deal, you know. Yep, <laughs> they sure are. But yeah, no, I wanted to lighten it up a little bit. So there's your joke <laughs> from me today. So I hope you all laughed. Oh, yeah. We laughed. Man, it's good to have you here today, Berg. Peter, how are we doing on time? Is that an we episode? Are right at about time, yeah. Hmm. Do you have anything you want to say? I could tell some more zany oh. stories. <laughs> oh. Well, we gotta say, we'll have to save your zany stories. I'm okay. sure you got a bunch of them. I could probably think of a few more, you know. And I do want to say one thing. Maybe it'll get cut off and it won't be in there. But God uses means is the phrase that turned me into a Lutheran when I first started visiting Lutheran churches because my my wife was born into the LCMS, and so I I had connections over to the LCMS, but I didn't understand the church and I didn't understand what the pastor was doing and what was going on in the divine service. And the pastor finally told me that um, God uses means. And that was, it just like exploded into the, the reality of that exploded into my mind. And I suddenly understood like, oh yeah, because God uses time and history and water and wine and bread and pastors and books and the Bible, of course. And he uses means because if he didn't, then we should have woke up upon being created at our final destination, right? Mm-hmm. What's the point of history and life and uh, and so forth, other than the obvious reality that God is using means. Right. So, that's, I, I like this as a good transition. And so, when a, a, a pastor makes you work on a sermon as a vicar, <laughs> the, it'd be a lot easier if you said, well, the Holy Spirit just overwhelmed right. me and I could just go ahead and preach. But God works through the preparation, through, ah, yes, through the, the, the write and the rewrite and the reorganization and the <laughs> practice of the preaching. The mean means. <laughs> <laughs> So good. All right. Well, 
Well, that it brings us to the conclusion of our show. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. This is Vicar. And may your ma, lo, and das <laughs> what? be divinely inspired. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.